This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege to be able to go and visit my mom and dad, who are in Phoenix. And I arrived on a Monday evening, and my mom and I sat down to plan out the week ahead. I need some help dusting some high spots in the kitchen, she said. Sure, Mom, whatever you say. Tomorrow, we have a doctor's appointment, and then we're all going to go and get our hair cut. <laughs> we're all getting our hair cut? Yeah, all of us, me and your dad and you. Okay, Mom, whatever you say. And Wednesday morning, you're going to play pickleball. Open play starts at 7 a.m. Wait, what? You're going to play pickleball. Why, what did you want to do on Wednesday? I don't know, I was thinking sleep till noon, maybe? <laughs> Breakfast, take a nap? Wednesday is pickleball at 7 a.m. Okay, Mom, whatever you say. I learned on my visit to my parents this past time that I had no idea how much work it is to be retired. Uh, <laughs> So we wake up Wednesday morning and head over to the fairly new pickleball courts in their retirement community. And my mom went over to the group and wrote down my name on the sign-up list and then introduced me to everyone. This is my son. He's from California, and he plays pickleball. Hi, I said to everyone. I'm her son, and I'm from California, and I have played pickleball before, but I'm still learning how to play pickleball. Oh, we're all still learning, said this sweet little old lady across the table from me who proceeded to destroy me in the, next, in the first game that we played. So we were about three serves into this game, and my mom starts yelling at me from the observation deck. Move up closer to the net! Back up! You're too close to the net! Keep your eye on the ball, Doran! <coughs> I turned, and in between gasps of breath, responded to her, it's Father Doran, Mom. <laughs> I was having flashbacks to eighth grade basketball when my mom would yell at me or cheer for me from the bleachers. Only in eighth grade there were other moms also yelling at their kids. But of course on the pickleball court at the 55 and older retirement community, I'm the only person that has a mom yelling at me from the sidelines. I played two games back to back, and so I had two different partners, uh, both of whom I helped lose handily. Um, but in the end, I think that my mom had fun, which of course was the real point. If mom is pleased, then the mission is accomplished. I'd like to think that I have grown more obedient as a son over the years. I know that I have grown anyway in my desire to be obedient. Now, I wasn't terrible growing up. I was obedient for the most part to my parents. The only times I really disobeyed my mom and dad were those times when their rules didn't make any sense or when I flat out disagreed with them, obviously. It's really not unlike our relationship with God is it? 
It's so super easy to obey God's commandments when they are in accord with what we already think or want or feel, because those are God's best commandments, the ones that line up with how we view the world. But when God's will doesn't square with our will, well, something has to give, either his will or ours. And therein lies that little difference between selflessness or selfishness, obedience or disobedience, to use the biblical language, righteousness and sin. In today's gospel, Jesus shares with his disciples and with us, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is sometimes referred to as the great law of love. It is beautiful and true. And most reasonable people, Christian or otherwise, take no issue with this law of love. I mean, to the contrary, I would argue it's probably the closest thing that we humans have to a universal moral law. Most folks agree that it is a good thing. What's not to like about it? The law of love is also referred to as the summary of the law because in it, the whole of God's commandments are fulfilled. St. Paul illuminates this great truth in his letter to the Romans when he writes, he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, he writes, are summed up in this sentence, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He concludes, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. If we have achieved love toward our neighbor, we not only keep the law, but we transcend all of God's commandments. Love is truly the source and the means and the ends for which we were created and exist. It all sounds pretty simple and great. What could possibly possess us to disobey this great commandment? Well, it's actually the manner of love that we humans struggle to achieve. Because Jesus is not speaking of just any kind of love, as we learned in last week's sermon. The love of which our Lord speaks is agape in the Greek, divine love, the love of God. Jesus does not say, this is my commandment, that you love one another, period. But rather he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There is the qualification. And just so that there is no misunderstanding, our Lord goes on to clarify his meaning, to clarify the nature of this love, and to prophesy his own passion when he says, greater love has no one than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. This is the love, he says, that I am calling you to have for one another. Self-emptying, self-giving, sacrificial love, the agape love of God. And this is precisely where following Christ's commandment, the great law of love, gets difficult for us. It's no problem loving people that we already love. It's no problem loving people that are nice to us or thoughtful or polite or that love us. 
But that is not the agape love of which our Lord speaks, because that is not the love that he had for us. Again, St. Paul says, But God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In that sacrifice, that loving sacrifice, he loved not just his friends, but also his enemies, those who persecuted him. He laid down his life for everyone. When he was wrong, he proceeded to lay down his life in love. When he was hurt, he proceeded to lay down his life in love. When he was wounded and broken and his spirit was deeply grieved, he proceeded to lay down his life in love. This is where obedience to Christ's law of love gets really, really difficult. What if I don't want to love my neighbor? When we are wronged by another or hurt by another, when we are wounded and broken and deeply grieved in spirit by someone, when every fiber of our being tells us that we cannot or will not love another, how are we to abide by this commandment? I mean, even if we believe with all our heart in this commandment, even if we desire to follow this commandment out of love for Jesus, in our brokenness and our sin, when it feels impossibly out of reach, really, how are we to follow this commandment? How? The truth is that we are at once called to love with divine love, and yet we are unable because of our sinfulness to do it. We are at once responsible to abide by this commandment and incapable of doing it. It is a true dilemma, a dilemma that we have created, but thanks be to God, a dilemma that God has solved for us through the gift of his Son and the grace of his Spirit. Because our zeal to love and to serve God is itself produced by the grace of God in us. But that action of grace does not occur and cannot occur without the participation of our own free will. This is truly a both-and endeavor. And I'd like to share a very rich quote from a 19th century Russian Orthodox bishop and monk, Saint Theophan the Recluse, who speaks of this cooperation with God, because that's what it is a cooperation of the grace of God with our human free will. He writes in his book, The Path to Salvation, he says, this should be the way that the love and the zeal for God and one another is aroused within us, as in a seed. This is his analogy. As in a seed, growth is aroused when moisture and warmth penetrate to the sprout which is hidden within, and through these, the all-restoring power of life comes. So also in us, the divine life is aroused when the Spirit of God penetrates into the heart and places there the beginning of life, according to the Spirit, and cleanses and gathers into one the darkened and broken features of the image of God in us. A desire and a free-seeking are aroused within us by an action from without. And then grace descends through the mysteries, he says, and grace uniting with our freedom produces a mighty zeal within us. But let no one think 
that he himself can give birth to such a power of life, one must pray for this grace and be ready to receive it. And he goes on to warn that one of the first tricks of the enemy is the idea that we can trust in ourselves alone and not feeling the need for the help of grace. And I would add that it's not just that we don't feel the need for the help of grace, as sometimes it is that we forget our need for the help of God's grace. St. Theophan says that grace descends through the mysteries. If you are in the catechumenate class, you will, I pray, have an understanding of what his meaning is when he uses the word mysteries. That is the Greek mysterion, which is the Latin sacramentum, which is where we get the holy mysteries or the sacraments of the church. These are the vehicles of divine grace given to us by God, means by which we can receive and be filled with the grace of God, that we can fulfill our calling to love others as Christ loved us. Let us then take heed and treasure our Lord's words this day, words that are both words of calling to love one another as he loved us, but also words of comfort and encouragement. Jesus reminds us that he chose us. We did not choose him. But he chose us for a specific purpose, to love others and to bear fruit so that his joy would be in us and that our joy would be full. And he who calls us is faithful. He desires to pour into us the grace of his Holy Spirit, that divine life and power that enables us to accomplish that which we cannot otherwise achieve. Let us then drink from this fountain of everlasting life, the grace of the Holy Spirit, and invite the warmth and the light of the love of God to fill us that that seed of divine love would continue to blossom and grow and burst forth from within us to the world around us for our salvation and for that of the world. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.